Good morning. You hear me okay? Happy Sabbath. My name is Mick Firestone. I'd like to welcome all the visitors this morning to you, church. Please pray with me. Dearest Lord, please put your words in my mouth. Speak your truth to your people this morning. Amen. Most of you know that I'm married to Sandy. There we go. Most of you know that I'm married to Sandy. There she is. Isn't she beautiful? She's the Puerto Rican girl who's currently on a mission trip to Cuba. So she's not with us today and can't hear this, but... She's my wife. What you may not know is that Sandy and I were brought together by a matchmaker. Not a professional matchmaker who does it for a living, but a mutual friend. Ruth Scarlett used to attend this church and was a friend here of Sandy's. And Ruth also worked for the state of Michigan in the same office where I worked. So Ruth invited me to come to this church and meet Sandy, and the rest is history. I came to the church, I met Sandy. Guess what, I liked her. We, um, I studied with the pastor here. I became baptized in the Adventist church, and I married Sandy 22 years ago. This morning, we're going to study about other matchmakers in the New Testament. Now, the three men that we're going to look at this morning are not particularly famous. They're not prominent in the New Testament. They're kind of in the background, but all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and connected people to Jesus. They were matchmakers for God. We're going to start with our first matchmaker, whose name is Andrew, and he is the brother of Simon Peter, you may remember. Now, all the scripture that we're going to be reading this morning is either from the Gospel of John or the Book of Acts. So it should be fairly easy to follow. I'll have it on the screen. Yep, we got it up there. But you can also read it in your pew Bible. Gospel of John, Book of Acts. One exception, I have one verse from Mark. Otherwise, it's all John and Acts. So we're going to start in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist is talking with two of his disciples. We know that one of the disciples is Andrew, the brother of Peter. We think the other is John the Beloved. We're not sure. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Andrew understands 
that when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, he's identifying Christ, Jesus, as the Messiah. And this thrills Andrew. He's been studying the Old Testament. He knows the prophecies. He knows that the fullness of time has come. And he can't wait to meet his Messiah. So let's see what he does. Uh, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, he said to them, Who do you seek? What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. Andrew wants to spend time with Jesus. When he says, where are you staying? He really means, can I spend time with you? He wants to sit and listen to Jesus and soak up every word. The Desire of Ages, page 138, says, in a brief interview by the wayside, they could not receive what they longed for. They desired to be alone with Jesus, to sit at his feet and hear his words. And so, Scripture goes on to say, they came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him that whole day. Now, it was about the 10th hour. That is about 4 p.m. Andrew stays with Jesus as long as he can, soaking up every word from his Lord. The desire of ages goes on to say, quote, To them, the words of Jesus were full of beauty. A divine illumination was set upon the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures. Truth stood out. In a new light, Andrew is amazed at the words of the Messiah. But Andrew can't stay at the side of Jesus all the time. He must go and share this amazing discovery with others. When we find Christ, we can't wait to share him, isn't that right? And so let's see whom he tells next. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Scripture says Andrew brings people to Christ. It's not enough to tell Peter we must, he must introduce Peter and Jesus. He must connect them. In today's lingo, he's got to hook them up. So, God's matchmakers bring people to Jesus. Amen. And now we go to the Gospel of Mark, the one verse that's in Mark, but it talks about Andrew. 
And it says in verse 29, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Here, Andrew, along with his brother Peter, opens his house to Jesus and to the other disciples. He provides a meeting place for Jesus to teach people and probably provides a meal for them arranges for a meal so they can be comfortable and satisfied. He makes his house a haven for those seeking truth, a rendezvous point for people to connect with Jesus. God's matchmakers open their homes for Bible study. Next, we see Andrew in the Gospel of John and it starts in chapter 6, verse 8. Now, this is just before the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus' great miracle where he fed the 5,000. And Andrew says this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Andrew has obviously been mixing with the crowd. He's been circulating among the people, getting to know them, scouting out which ones want to connect with Jesus. And he meets this young boy, and he befriends him. Maybe he tells the boy about Christ's ministry. Maybe he supports the boy in his youthful search for truth. Perhaps the boy expresses doubts or fears, and Andrew encourages him that Jesus is more powerful than your fears. In the process of his outreach, Andrew is in a position to supply the meager resources that Jesus uses for his great miracle. So here again, Andrew is looking for divine appointments to make connections for Christ. God's matchmakers pray for divine appointments. Next, we see Andrew in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, starting in verse 20. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to meet Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Scholars believe that the Greeks first came to Philip because he has a Greek name, although actually he's Jewish. But Philip brings them to the real matchmaker of the apostles, Andrew. And here again, Andrew is introducing new converts to Jesus in this circumstance, because he is introducing Gentiles to Jesus, he's actually foreshadowing Jesus' great commission to take the gospel to all nation, tongues, and people. He is going against the prejudice that the Jews had at that time, and he's reaching out to the Gentiles to connect them to Christ. God's matchmakers reach out to those who are different than themselves. Now, that's all we're going to learn about Andrew 
this morning. So we're ready for our next matchmaker for God. And this matchmaker appears only in one place, one chapter in all of Scripture. It's in the book of Acts, and it starts in Acts 9, and his name is Ananias. And Acts 9, starting at verse 10, says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Ananias listens to God. He listens for God to speak. He prays looking for wisdom, and he's ready to go wherever God leads him. He says, here I am, Lord. So let's see what the Lord says to him in verse 11. God says, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying and in a vision, he sees a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Now remember that when, when Saul, that was his name then, when Saul was knocked down on the way to Damascus and met Christ, he was blinded by the experience. God needs someone to open Saul's eyes physically and then help to open Saul's spiritual eyes to see Christ. But Ananias can't believe his ears. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, he knows about Saul. You want me to minister to the enemy of the church? Let's see what Ananias says. And Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias wants clarification. He, he will go where the Lord leads him, but he wants to be sure. He, he can't believe right off that God is leading him to help the destroyer of the church. But we see in the next verses, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow! How faithful is Ananias to go and minister to the, to the destroyer of the church based on the word of God. He obeys without further questions. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I find it difficult to obey when I don't understand. Does that ring a bell? I want God to explain himself. I want to know what is the purpose of what you're asking me. I don't want to be in harm's way. But God sometimes asks me to step out in faith before I understand and without any guarantees. And I wish I could say that like Ananias, I go ahead and act on God's word. I don't. Ananias did, and he's a great example. But here's the good news. God is patient with us, and he tells us that the Holy Spirit working in us can change us, that we may be able to be strong in our weakness, and that he, the Holy Spirit, can be wise in our misunderstanding. And that if we surrender our will, he can work through us. It's not the wise and the strong he always chooses. And in this case, he chose the right man. He chose Ananias. He only appears in this one chapter in all of Scripture. But he's a great example of faithfulness. And look how kind Ananias is to Saul, the enemy of the church. He calls him Brother Saul. He lays his hands on him gently, and he prays for his healing. He's truly carrying out Christ's command to love your enemies. What an example of faith and obedience. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, makes a great point uh, of kind of a contrast that we can see in the situation here. He says, quote, Saul came to Damascus to lay violent hands on the disciples. But here, a Damascus disciple lays helping, healing hands on Saul. <laughs> Isn't that a great contrast? Love it. So the story goes on. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Now, I think, the way I interpret it, the implication here is that Ananias himself baptized Saul, the enemy of the church, on the word of God, baptized this enemy of the church. He's the forgiving mediator, the courageous matchmaker to bring this former hater of the church into the perfect love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. God's matchmakers show compassion for and pray for even their enemies. That's all we see of Ananias in scripture, but it's a great example. There we go. Our third matchmaker, he's the last one we're going to look at, is found only in the book of Acts, in several places in the book of Acts. His name is Barnabas. And his name means son of encouragement. And 
I find all his actions in Acts, most of his actions anyway, to be acts of encouragement. Now, Saul had been converted in Damascus, but he tries to go back to Jerusalem to talk to the Christian leadership, and they won't accept him. They're suspicious, because, of course, they know his history. So we see in Acts 9, starting in verse 26, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so Saul was with them at Jerusalem, going in and coming out. Barnabas is indeed the son of encouragement, as his name proclaims. When all the others doubt Saul, he's willing to listen. And he prays about it. He's not judgmental or condemning, and he waits for wisdom from God. Asking the Lord what to do about Saul. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him that Saul will be a vessel for God to use. Barnabas is the matchmaker introducing the suspicious Christian leaders to the new convert, encouraging them to have faith in Saul and relating the story of Saul's miraculous conversion in Damascus. I wonder whether the great missionary to the Gentiles would ever have been accepted by the Christian leadership if it hadn't been for the son of encouragement. God's matchmakers look for the good in others. Amen. We next see Barnabas in Acts 11. So we're in Acts 11. Kind of cut off the top of that there, but we're in Acts 11, verse 22. Uh, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Scripture tells us Barnabas is full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He is encouraging new converts to grow in their newfound faith. He's preaching to them in Antioch that they must set a strong purpose in their hearts to serve and obey God. His support in Antioch is vital to the early evangelism effort. And he continues to introduce and connect people to the Lord. God's matchmakers encourage new believers to grow in Christ. Next we see Barnabas. Actually, uh, the story continues right there in Acts 11. If we can get the next one up there. The story continues in Acts 11 in verse 25. 
Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek, guess who, Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now look what Barnabas is doing. He's connecting Saul with the Antioch converts, with wisdom inspired by the Holy Spirit. He sees that Saul's instruction and preaching are just what the Antioch church needs. He's like a coach putting each player in the best position for their skills on a football team. And after matching up Paul's, uh, Saul's skills to the Antioch Christians, he continues to be supportive of everybody's growing sanctification in Christ. God's matchmakers look for the God-given gifts in people, and they put those people where they can best use those gifts. And now we skip to more evangelism effort from Barnabas as he's uh, witnessing with Saul. Acts 12, verse 25 tells us, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname, uh, surname was Mark. So here, Barnabas recruits a new member, young John Mark, and he introduces him to Saul. He makes John Mark a new member of the evangelism team, and he teaches him the ropes. He mentors the rookie in his early efforts at witnessing, probably a little clumsy at first, but he teaches him. And he encourages John Mark when the work is difficult and the way is hard. Perhaps he admonishes, don't give up, John Mark. This is for the glory of Christ. Jesus didn't give up on us. We can't give up on him. God's matchmakers recruit people to the work of the gospel. And they mentor those people through difficult times. Now, in Acts 15, interesting thing happens here to Barnabas and Saul. Let's read about it. And certain men came down from Judea, and they taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Barnabas is here assigned as a delegate to a council that we know as the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. He's going to represent, uh, represent the concerns of his local congregation in Antioch to the Jerusalem Christian leadership. His wisdom and experience will help the council to make decisions. He's in the thick of the interactions and discussions. Perhaps he calms those who become angry over the controversy. And he's listening patiently to everyone. 
and expressing understanding of their views. But overall, he encourages the committee to seek God's guidance, not our ideas. Seek God's guidance. God's matchmakers mediate peace amidst conflict and encourage others to seek God's guidance. Also at the council in Jerusalem, it goes on to tell us, then all the multitude kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked among them for the Gentiles at Antioch they're talking about. So Barnabas is an encouraging voice He's letting the leaders know what God has done for them in Antioch and how God has worked for them. And God has worked for us at U Church. And think of how we go back and talk to our families about the great work that God is doing in our church. And Barnabas and, and Saul are doing the same. God's matchmakers proclaim the works that God has done for them. Also at the council, it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own community to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is done at the council. The delegate has now gone back to Antioch, and he's got the letter pronouncing the decisions of the council. He's the envoy of the good news. He continues to be a faithful mediator between the Christian leadership and his local congregation. He plays an important role back in Antioch in soothing the tempers that were inflamed by the theological controversy. And he dutifully conveys the leadership's decisions and rules to his local congregation congregation and supports his church in following the rules. It's like if you go to the GC and you, you take part in the decision making and when the decisions are made you come back to you church and you describe this is what GC wants us to do. This is what the Holy Spirit is guiding our whole denomination to do. And Barnabas is supporting his local church in following the rules. God's matchmakers convey God, God's messages to his people and they support their congregation in following the authority of Christian leadership. Amen. We've looked at our three matchmakers. Little known men, not famous, not the people we first think of in the New Testament. But I find it fascinating that these three men stand for us as such great examples of reaching out and connecting people with Jesus. They demonstrate forgiveness, patience, love to all who are seeking a Savior. They meet people where those people are accepting their doubts or their sinful paths. These men mediate between those troubled souls that they meet and Jesus, bringing those souls 
to the foot of the cross. Let us be like these three men and pray for divine appointments that God would find us situations and seekers and then empower us with the Holy Spirit so that we can bring those souls to Christ. God is eager to make us his spiritual matchmakers, matching the earthly church, which is the bride of Christ, with Jesus, the perfect bridegroom, our heavenly king, so that all his people may sit down, to continue the analogy, at the marriage feast of the Lamb. Join me in prayer. Dear Lord, please put your Holy Spirit in our hearts and empower us as you empowered these matchmaker men to reach out to the whole world and play the role of matchmaker, matching up souls to the priceless, everlasting love of the perfect bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Amen.